everybody, I'm Scott Perzinski, founder and CEO of Fluidity Technologies. I'm also a former astronaut. Today we're going to be talking about going to Mars, uh, teleoperation of surgical robots, and the importance of being a motivated whiner. Stay tuned. That, do you, that's, that was the birth of you uh, becoming an explorer. How did you decide to become, how did it come about that you became an astronaut? Because well, you were a medical doctor. Right. Um, I, I had wanted to become an astronaut ever since I could you know, basically walk and talk as a little kid. I, I grew up in the shadow of the, the Apollo program. So mm -hmm. like every kid on the block, I had you know, my model rockets that I you know, would lose in the trees you know, at, at the school park um, and posters on the wall. But I had, a, I had an edge. My dad worked on the Apollo program. In fact, he helped design the, the first stage uh, Saturn booster that... Uh, oh that actually propelled the astronauts to the moon back in those days. So I actually went to Florida to see the launch of Apollo 9. And, um, and it was Ooh. really one of those, you know, defining moments in my life. I can still, you know, picture watching that rocket uh, take off from, the, from Cocoa Beach. And uh, yeah, who, who knows what, you know, really triggers things in, in kids and how, how we're set on our, our course, course through life. But I'm, I'm confident that that was, really something that latched in my brain and I, I've, I never let go of the ambition uh, to one day fly in space. And I didn't know how I was going to get there, but uh, um, I always loved medicine as well. I, um, I wanted to be in a, a role where I could help people. And so at, at Stanford University, I pursued, uh, you know, um, pre-medical studies that ended up going to Stanford Medical School, but very nearby there's the NASA Ames Research Center. And uh, so I was able to, to do some research there to help uh, preserve astronaut health on long duration spaceflight and some other studies that uh, involved, you know, the life sciences in space. And so I had this unique skill set that uh, allowed me to have a competitive edge to become an astronaut. So back in 92, I was, I was selected to uh, become an astronaut. Wow, that's, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. Now, I know <clears throat> that you have um, a particular expertise in human adaptation to stressful environments. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've been fascinated with for about 40 years um, is cortisol and the impact of cortisol on, on human beings, not just on the brain and not even just on the thinking, but even on the physiology and how it impacts us. And, uh, you know, cortisol, for those who are not sure, is the stress hormone. We all have it, and it has good parts to it. But we live in a, uh, an overstressed world, an overstimulated world, and we tend to be uh, flooded with cortisol. T talk to us a little bit about your research in that, because that's a fascinating subject, and I think it's one that is very relatable to anybody, even in the business world, uh, you know, day to day, you know, we're getting hit with this that's creating dopamine, but also cortisol, right? We've all got so yeah. we've got these constant uh, calling at us, which creates anxiety. I mean, we've got higher levels of anxiety than we've ever had. Talk to us about your research in, in those subjects. Yeah, so so I, I've not done, uh, you know, behavioral studies and looking at cortisol per se, but, you know, I have worked in a lot of high stress environments and, and uh, you know, pressing human physiology to the extreme. And, you know, an example would be, you know, high extreme high altitude uh, um, 
physiology, going to the summit of Everest, uh, also uh, descended into uh, uh, a lava lake, uh, uh, Masaya Volcano in Nicaragua. So you know, going into uh, an environment like that or preparing to go outside on a spacewalk where you know, the elements are about you, you're going into an environment that's extremely unforgiving. How do you uh, manage your stress and, and maintain your focus to be highly successful? And uh, I'll, I'll take it back even further in my life. Uh, I used to do this crazy sport called luge. And it's a winter Olympic uh, a sport involving a, a sled that's about the size of a cafeteria tray. You lay on your back with your feet in front of you and you're steering your body, uh, controlling your inertia, um, changing the shape of the runners by the way you pull in your legs and, and lean your body. Um, but you, your, your main goal is to be as still as possible at, um, under the high G, high velocity uh, that you're experiencing and, um, and be as aerodynamic as possible while still steering that perfect line. And it's very, very difficult. Um, and, mm. and the way that uh, I prepared myself for it uh, is actually something that I've carried forward with me in everything I've ever done in my life since. And it's a process we, uh, we call pre-visualization. And it's, it's, uh, it's not only um, um, preparing um, for success, but um, you know, being, uh, or planning, planning on success, but uh, preparing for failures as well. And, and so it's a, um, it's a way of seeing yourself uh, uh, steering that perfect line and making course corrections along the way should something happen. And so what we would do is actually we'd, we'd lay down in the start house on, on one of the benches there and close our eyes and move our body exactly as we would do on the track itself, uh, you know, 10 or 15 minutes later. And uh, with experience, we would actually, uh, in our pre-visualized runs, time ourselves exactly to the second, um, how long it would take us to get down that 45 second track. And uh, it, 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 it allowed us to, to uh, you know, really get in the zone really, really quickly to, to maintain our perfect focus uh, to do the job that we had to do. And so I've done it for spacewalks. I've, I've done it for, you know, medical procedures. Um, I, I do it, um, you know, in my life as a, a tech CEO. Um, yeah, certainly many other aspects, uh, you know, uh, climbing Mount Everest, you know, visualizing um, the, uh, the process of, of, of summit day. And um, I think when you're able to, to, um, confidently go into an environment kn knowing that there is a pathway to success. You, you pre-visualized it, uh, allows us to, to maintain um, our focus and, uh, and probably it'd be interesting to do some cortisol studies actually to see how that actually. Very fascinating. Yeah, because exactly. I mean, we, we know through neuroplasticity that the you know, the, uh, we're creating new neural pathways when we do that, and the and the the brain does not know the difference between that which is real and that which is uh, that which is imagined using the senses. And people mix mess that piece up. They go, well, I've imagined it, but it wasn't wasn't the same. Yeah, because you didn't involve the senses, and you have to feel the wind in your hair. You have to smell the smell. Right. To yep. taste the taste you have to feel the sweat rolling down your back you have to sense all of the senses and 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 you know i've trained people in this and i'll tell you that what you're describing i want to make it clear to everybody that sounds easy it is not easy 
No. Um, so that there's a level of discipline to that pre-visualization that is very different than a visualization. <laughs> you know, so um, training yourself to actually feel what it feels like to, to move your butt cheek one quarter of an inch so as to steer to, and as you do, to feel the, the wind pass you in a certain direction, the way that it didn't a quarter of an inch differently. And that smell and that taste in your mouth as you could taste the adrenaline rushing through, you know, these are, I mean, you're talking about something that's you got it. You quite got it. sophisticated and unusual for people, right? <laughs> You, you've described it really, really well, Dove. That that that's exactly it. It's it's the uh, the nuanced uh, details that you really have to uh, to focus in on because they make the, a world of difference in in a spacewalk. Um, you know, it's it's the yeah. How do you manipulate uh, your your body to to ingress the foot restraint uh, so that you can get out and do your task? Every every detail, seeing yourself uh, um, and feeling yourself. Uh, do those maneuvers um, leads to success. And it also gives you confidence when things don't go perfectly per plan. And so I've had the opportunity in, in my career to do a, a really harrowing a spacewalk to uh, repair a live solar panel. It was one of these things that we never thought we'd ever have to do. You don't ever want to get uh, anywhere near a live solar panel because you know you can be electrocuted. It's a, uh, you know, in a in a hundred percent pressurized uh, uh, spacesuit, you know, electricity and oxygen don't get along very well, and uh, well, they get along very well, but well, for a short period of time. Don't yeah. Do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, when I when my crew and I had to go out and and do this particular task, we had to call upon all of our our years of experience and um, our judgment, and um, and then the the preparation that we could do in our minds because we never had the opportunity to go do this in the training tank in Houston. We had to, we had to conjure it up in our minds, pre-visualize success and then go do it. And, and thankfully, uh, you know, the, the mission was a huge success, uh, uh, as a result of, uh, you know, the, the planning that had gone into it, but also the, um, the work that we did to, um, up, up on orbit to, to fly the robotic arm and to go do that spacewalk. So was the, pre, was the pre-visualization, was that something you were taught during your training to be an astronaut or is it somewhere you were learned it somewhere else? I learned it actually as an athlete. So I, I learned it as uh, as a luge athlete. Um, you know, I, I, I saw these other folks, uh, you know, kind of, you know, getting ready to do the runs and a, a few of the, the Olympians, the more, uh, uh, senior folks, very successful folks, they would lay down on a bench and they would kind of you know, move their bodies exactly as they would uh, for the, uh, the run ahead. And uh, I, I quizzed them about that. And um, obviously I wanted to be like them. I wanted to go to the Olympics as well. And um, it, it led to a lot of success in that sport for me. Um, but also it, it's a, a lesson that I carried forward through the rest of my career. Yeah, because, um, you know, I've worked with and I've certainly had on, on my shows uh, guests who are Olympians and I've actually worked with and coached uh, Olympians. And without fail, that is standard procedure. You know, they're all, you know, they, and again, it's always the same thing. It's 
it's not just visualizing that's not going to work you actually have to get as much as you possibly can the other senses involved and and it's mm -hmm. it's it's a it's an incredible thing i remember uh, teaching somebody to do it while they were in hospital for a surgery and i was teaching them how to do it and i said okay well you know and this person was like you know i love the sun but i can't go out in the sun because i get blotchy and they were in a hospital for something else. So I was, well, let's practice with that. And the person got a 10, right? So we worked with it for a week. This is in Australia many, many years ago. And, and their skin tone changed. They got, you know, it's not a dark time, but they got skin color change because the brain, the body does not know the difference between that which is real and that which is real imagined with all of the senses and so okay melanin is needed and so the skin tone changes and and this That's is wild. not some woo new new age stuff this is you know like you said this is how we train ourselves fantastic stuff yeah but, there, there's 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 muscle memory but our brain is also in a in a sense you know a, a, a source of strength a muscle as well we have to exercise yeah. that in concert yeah and unfortunately most people have very lazy brains <laughs> that's true <laughs> now, you 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 had 17 years as an astronaut, and I think in many ways, you know, we're we're all. If you've not been an astronaut, um, we've all learned what it means to be an astronaut from the tip, from the telly, and from movies. And the movies have made the training and even being an astronaut look very glamorous. But my guess is that it's really not quite so glamorous. So talk to us about the stuff that that maybe most people won't think about in that context, like, I don't know, dealing with garbage or sneezing in space <laughs> or <laughs> when you take your socks off. <laughs> yeah. So, so certain things you, you, you learn on the job, the, you know, the first day that you get up on orbit, it's, you know, the, the mundane aspects of, of living in space are not that easy really. So, you know, I, yeah, I put down my can of uh, LaCroix here and it's going to be there, but up in space, if, if you, if you set something down and you don't Velcro it, tape it, you know, put it in a locker, it's gone. And in two days, it's going to be in uh, what we call uh, the, the lost and found, which is actually the cabin air cleaner. There's a circulation that swirls around. And, and sure enough, a couple days later, you know, your pen or your spoon or whatever will be there. So there's a, there's a huge hassle factor of living and working in space. Uh, but there's also obviously a lot of joy. I mean, every, every day, you know, you're, you're flying and uh, you push off with your fingertips and you can do aerobatic spins. You feel like an Olympic gymnast or diver. You can do these incredible reorientations and such. But yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the thing that many people don't understand about being an astronaut is that the majority of our time is actually on Earth. We're, we're on Earth supporting other crews, conducting their missions, and we're in uh, mission control or we're in the, the water tank practicing spacewalks, developing tools and procedures for the crew that's up there. And so, you know, that, that actually is, you know, a lot of office work and meetings and, uh, you know, uh, conference calls and things like everyone else does. But it's punctuated by really exciting things, you know, flying jet aircraft, uh, practicing spacewalks. And every few years you get a chance to ride a rocket ship and, and uh, go live in space for a while. So, um, but yeah, I, I think the, uh, the, the kind of the everyday life of, of being in space uh, is a lot of fun, but it's, it's more work than you would imagine. I'm sure. 
So I, I've got to ask you the question that I'm sure everybody asks you uh, because it's the question that um, every, it's the, not just a question, but it's something that every astronaut speaks about, which is looking back on Earth. Oh, by the way, is it flat? <laughs> I, uh, I can debunk that one for you, Dove. Yeah, yeah. So the Earth is not flat. In fact, um, if you climb Mount Everest, uh, you can actually see the curvature of the Earth very easily from there. Uh, and you, you, quite honestly, you know, you, if you fly in a commercial airliner, if you're observant, you can actually see it quite easily there too. But yes, uh, from up in space, I can guarantee it is is very round and very beautiful, and it's it's a life changing experience. You know, you're you're looking uh, at the, the cradle, the, the only place uh, where humanity exists. And so all of human existence is there beneath you. It's this, uh, it's a, a mesmerizing, brilliant blue ball. It, it, Earth should be called ocean, really, because you know, yeah, I've of the surface. That I feel like <laughs> this is such a poorly named planet. <laughs> why, yeah. why, is it, why isn't it called aqua? Or why isn't it called right. something that's to do with the ocean? Because well, there's more ocean than land. With 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 climate change, maybe it, it, it will be. <laughs> we may have to rename it soon. <laughs> Wasn't there a Kevin Costner movie? A really bad. It Kevin was, Costner. yeah, a Waterworld. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, the the, the uh, your eyes are just so powerfully, you know, almost magnetically drawn back to planet Earth. It's it's incredibly you know, mesmerizing to look out into the star fields and see trillions and trillions of stars that that don't twinkle, you know. We, we know the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star because of our atmosphere making them uh, yeah. twinkle. But in space, they're like, uh, you know, trillions and trillions of uh, tiny little flashlights. And if you let your eyes dark accommodate, you can actually see the, the magnificence of the, of the Milky Way like nothing, you know, possible here on Earth. It's, it's, it's jaw-dropping. But as I said, your eyes are pulled back to Earth and you see the confluence of our planet you know we we're taught in school with our globes and our maps that there are there are boundaries and dots uh that depict cities but uh it's just a, a, a confluence of of humanity uh with a, a couple of exceptions uh the only place that i can think of on the planet where you can actually see a boundary is between um israel and egypt uh, based on their irrigation um activities there you can sort of see the the distinction between the two countries but uh it's really jaw-dropping and i i always am drawn to the conclusion that it would be so powerful if we could get political leaders warring uh factions to to travel into space together and to see their homeland and uh i think the concept of war would uh would evaporate it would just be an untenable uh, uh consideration um, it, it's a it's a very fragile planet as well. You, you see just the very thin atmosphere that we have um, between us and the enormity of the universe. It's paper thin. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you can also see, you know, jet contrails. Uh, you can see deforestation. You can see bilge dumping, dumping in the ocean. Uh, you can see soot along the Trans-Siberian Railway in the wintertime. Uh, so, you know, the, the scars of humanity are very apparent from that perspective too. And that, that's kind of a, a sobering uh, perspective. Yeah, um, one, of, one of the shows I really love is, is called uh, One Strange Rock, which I'm yeah. sure you're familiar yep. with. Mm -hmm. And all the astronauts who, like yourself who, 
who have been up to the International Space Station and, and, and been above, you know, all say the same thing. They talk about the beauty of the planet, but they also talk about the fragility of this planet and, and uh, the, the connectiveness of it and the really the irresponsibility that we have towards this homeland that is ours. Uh, and it's often saddening um, because it is such a magnificent place. I mean, just like, you know, the things we don't even know yet. I mean, you know, again, you know, we started out at the beginning here, you know, we're exploring in space and that's wonderful, but at the same time, there's so much here we don't even know. We have not dived to the depths of the ocean. We don't know the depths of these unfathomable depths of, of, of uh, caves that have been discovered in Mexico and places like that, you know, with the oldest bones ever being found there. I mean, you know, we haven't been to uh, into the depths of Mariana's Trench and, and all these places that are right here on Earth. It's fascinating. We have lots of work to do. And uh, yeah, getting back to what you're just saying, we, we have not been the best stewards of our planet. And I, I think by having these kinds of experiences, bringing them home, relating them to people, um, I, I think we can shape human behavior. We can shape investment uh, to try and preserve our, our oceans in particular, something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, you're, I'm sure, very familiar with the, uh, the trash gyres that are in the ocean that are just, you know, uh, overwhelming in, in scope. And um, you're right, we've, we've only mapped, uh, you know, less than 5% of our oceans in any great detail. Uh, we have lots to understand about the topography of the ocean floor, but even more important, I think, is what's in the water column above. You know, what since 70% of our, our planet is covered in water, you know, what's down there and, and how can we use that to uh, better preserve our planet, but also better sustain life on Earth? Yeah, we're always finding new life in these, in these places in the depths of the ocean, creatures we never even knew existed are right there. You know, right. it, it real, and a lot of the stuff, when they do find it, looks like an alien creature because it lives with such low light or whatever it is. It's, it's a fascinating thing. Scott, um, I would love to speak to you for about another 17, 18 hours, uh, but <laughs> neither of us have that time at this moment. Um, right here, I'm gonna invite you to come on to our other show, um, and talk more about your company and the technology of your company and, and leadership specifically, uh, because this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. As we come to the end of this particular show, um, I would love you to encourage our viewers, our listeners, to be, to be curious. If you were going to ask us to be curious about something, what would it be? I would take a, a, a broader perspective, um, and I would say that each of us has uh, innate creativity. Many of us haven't really tapped into that creativity. Um, I'm an inventor, and, and I consider myself, um, more specifically, a motivated whiner. And what I mean by that is uh, <laughs> I, I, I notice things around me, and so, um, you know, you, know, you you stub your toe and you know that, that's a nuisance you know I wish that wasn't there well you know what what can we learn from that experience is there an innovation is there something that we can do a new process a new product that we can bring to bear that would would make a difference and so I, I'm just keenly 
aware of my environment. And uh, when something uh, strikes my, my uh, radar as being inefficient, uh, incon inconvenient, too expensive, uh, um, hurtful, otherwise problematic, I take note of it. And then I, my mind just sort of turns on that. And it's led to, uh, over the course of my life, a, a number of uh, inventions. And so um, I, I like to encourage people just in general to be uh, motivated whiners, uh, to, to not just accept that there are problems that we have to deal with, but what are you going to do about it? Is there something that you can, um, a change that you can make uh, or an invention that you can patent and commercialize that would actually make a difference in the lives of other people? And so uh, that's, that would be my, uh, my suggestion. Uh, I, I love that. Um, I, I love actually the language of it, which is, you know, to be a motivated whiner. Because there's a lot of whiners, but not yeah. many motivated whiners, right. which is what are you going to do about it? Um, don't come with the problem, come with a problem plus some form of solution. I, I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, Scott, again, uh, I've, I've adored having this conversation. Is there some way for our viewers, our listeners to find out more about you, about your company, about all the things that you do. I know that you do a lot of things. So where can people reach out to you? Yeah, so I'd love for folks to visit us at uh, fluidity.tech, uh, which is uh, my company that provides really intuitive uh, robotic controls for drones and, and one day for surgical robots. I also have a personal website, which is my last name, perizinski.com. Uh, not an easy Polish name to spell, but uh, uh, you can maybe put it on the banner there. We'll put it on the, we'll put it on the page, don't worry. <laughs> and then I, I, I do a fair amount of uh, speaking as well. Um, I enjoy engaging with, uh, you know, innovators and leaders. Uh, um, I, I get fueled by it, um, as, I, as I know you do. It's, it's really great Absolutely. to be around other, other creatives. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll stay with us to the end. I just want to say thank you again. It was a pleasure and an honor. And we also look forward to having you on the Leadership and Loyalty Show. I really look forward to it. Thank you. So till next time, stay curious, my friends. Stay curious about how you can be a motivated whiner. My name is Dov Barron. I'm the founder of FullMontyLeadership.com. I'm here to assist you tapping into the one thing that changes everything all at once, your purpose. I'm out.